what if you found out somebody was trying to kill you? Like imagine, imagine I wanted to kill you. Your pastor, you come in and all of a sudden you hear me conspiring in the back. I say, hey, I think we should kill. I won't name anybody because that'll freak, <laughs> freak you guys out. Like, wow, yeah. All right. Stacy Alski raised her hand. Thank you, Stacy. Right. Always the giver. Uh, we're going to kill Stacy, you know. Uh, we have a board meeting, you know, and it's two, Tuesdays. We have our board meetings, and we get, you know, on the agenda plot to kill Stacy. It's number three, because we got some other stuff we're working on, okay? There's a movie called Stranger Than Fiction. Has anyone ever seen this movie with Will Ferrell in it? Okay, Will Ferrell is, uh, it's more of a serious, it's not one of his like super comedy things. He's more of a serious character. And basically his character is uh, Harold Crick. And uh, he goes on his day, he's an IRS agent, and he's going about his day. And he begins to hear this voice in his head, this British woman who's played by Emma Thompson, who begins to narrate what he's doing in a British accent, right? And so he's brushing his teeth and he starts to hear this voice and he, it's, he starts freaking out. And so through, in these things in his life, he's just, he's trying to get help. He goes to a, um, a, a, a therapist to see what's going on. And all of a sudden he hears, little did Harold know that this was just before his imminent death. And it freaked him out. Because you can imagine if you... If this narrator's narrating everything you say and it knows the future, and all of a sudden he freaks out and he's trying to find out who this person is that's, that knows so much about his life. And so he goes to a therapist and that can't help. And then so he goes to this uh, professor of uh, uh, literary works, played by Dustin Hoffman. And they narrow down who the author is and they go talk to the author. And she, the author freaks out and he's freaking out. And he says, well, just don't finish the book. And she says, uh. And he's like, you finished it? Because she always kills off the, her, uh, the hero at the end of all her books. So she gets, uh, she decides to give it to him to read. And he can't read it. And he has uh, Dustin Hoffman read it. So Dustin Hoffman reads it for him. He's going to die. And so I have a little video that kind of shows where we are uh, with Harold Crick when he talks to Dustin Hoffman about his life. You can see the video we showed during the sermon on YouTube. Uh, just go to our website, www.livingspring.com. And uh, if you go to this sermon, you'll see the link that we placed in the description portion. What would you do? What's that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you die, right? I got this uh, picture here. It says, uh, I loved you, but you were plotting to kill me. It's, uh, it was actually written on a, on a brick wall. This is where we find Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. The Pharisees were plotting to kill him. Now, I'm going to give you guys a choice. There are two alternate endings to this sermon. I actually wrote two, two endings. For the first time in preaching history of my life, which has been many, many, many months, uh, uh, 
you can pick the ending. Now, I've got two video clips to show you at the end. One is the very end of the movie. You will know how this movie ends. The other one is prior to the end of the movie, and you will not know. Now, uh, you're going to have to decide. The movie was in 2006, so if you're like, no, I'd really like to see it, and if you spoil it for me, me, I'll be upset. But you've had two years to see the movie, okay? So, you know, cut me some slack. So how many people... And you have to look at PluggedIn.com because there's some other stuff in the movie. I'm not recommending the movie, so I'm just saying. How many people do not want the movie spoiled? Raise your hand. Okay. So four of you. The rest of you don't mind? You guys are cool? Okay. You already saw it, Nathan. Good night. All right. Most of you are just like, dude, just get done with the sermon. I'm starving. Okay? All right. I understand. All right. We'll go. uh, I haven't decided yet. We'll see when we get there. This is where Jesus is. Pay attention to this. It says, But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this. Aware of this. He knows. Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Now, I want to stop right there before we move on. Notice that the Pharisees are not gathering together to plot out if they should kill Jesus, but how they should kill Jesus. So they're getting together, they're convening together. If we use our Stacy analogy, it would be as the agenda item wouldn't be should we kill Stacy, it would be how are we going to kill Stacy? Everyone come with your ideas. Okay? That's where they are. Now how what would that look like? What if someone really could plot out your own life and you found out they had control and they could decide whether you live or die? This is where Jesus is. Now, how does Jesus respond? He knows people are trying to kill him. He knows he's hated, but it's just not t- like, like, I love what he said. I can't die now. It's really bad timing. Like there's a good timing to die, right? But in fact, with Jesus, it really was bad timing. The Father had not allowed this to happen. And so Jesus withdrew, not out of fear like I would. If I found out someone was trying to kill me, I wouldn't be here next Sunday. He'd be like, where did John go? I don't know. He just disappeared. That was that's probably what I'd do. Jesus withdraws because there's something greater going on here, and it's advancing the kingdom of God. And so how does somebody... Do that. How do you, in the midst of some trial, even your own life, and we got many trials going on. We we just mentioned the stock market, fires, the housing crisis, a new president, all these things. How do we remain focused on kingdom work during all these things? We take the example of Jesus who is going to die. When you know you're going to die, how do you focus on anything else other than knowing you're going to die? Because if we can solve that question, we can solve questions when we, about our job, about where we're going to live. If we can solve the question of death, we can solve any question. So let's take a look. I put down there, I think, five, five C's there on how Jesus gets through this. And what happens is it says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. It wasn't his time. It wasn't that he was hiding out. He was still doing kingdom work, but he was cognizant of the time. 
It says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. See, somebody had already written, God had a plan for Jesus. And just like it said in there, just like all tragedies, the hero dies at the end, but the story lives on forever. How does that apply to us? Let's take a look at it. We're going to look at this uh, Isaiah reading here. It starts in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. Here is my beloved servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. Number one, Jesus knew he was chosen by God. Now, again, when we talk about Jesus, it's kind of difficult because he is God at the same time he was chosen by God. He's the son as much as he is God. It's just the, the, the wackiness of the Trinity that's very difficult to understand. But this applies to us directly. We, in fact, those of us who by faith get on this exciting life of, of being a follower of Jesus Christ are chosen by God. And it's kind of weird how God knows already we're going to choose him and he's already chosen us. And it's, it's some, some people go on and on and on over these different doctrines of, did I have a choice? Did I not have a choice? Was I predestined? Can I lose my salvation? Blah, blah, blah. The, all those things are important. I, I urge you to look deeply into them. But my point is, day in and day out, when it comes down to you're faced with a problem, Knowing that you're chosen by God helps us through that situation. And we forget, at least I do in my own life, often to reflect back on the fact that God chose me. With all my faults, with all my problems, with all my fickleness, God chose me. And God wishes that none perish. God wishes that all people come to a saving faith in Him. I want to read a section of Scripture. It looks kind of long, but I want you to stay with me real quick. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says this, Now we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, He has a book that He's written your name in. Right? He's the great author. It says He's the author and perfecter of our faith. It says you've been called according to a purpose, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus just came to show us what it would look like for God to be human. Set an example. And then ultimately to die for our sins. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now get get this. So Paul's saying, listen, reflect on this stuff. God called you. The God of the universe called you for a purpose. And then he asked this question, what then shall we say in response to this? In other words, we got all these problems going on in the world. We have all these problems in our life. We have all this uncertainty. We don't know when we're going to die, how we're going to die. We don't know any of that. What, What should we say then when we think about God actually calling us? And he answers his own question with another question. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is where Jesus was. The Pharisees might plot to kill him. And Jesus just, oh my goodness, if you guys only knew, my heavenly Father is for me. What, what, what can man, what in the world can man do? Matter of fact, Jesus even talked about this uh, in, in just the chapter before. We went over it where it said, um, 
Uh, don't worry about those people who can hurt your body. Worry about the person who can cast your soul into hell. And now he's getting to the point where it's like, listen, if you know him, you don't even have to worry about that. Man can do nothing. So that's the first thing. We know we're chosen by God. That helped Jesus through this situation. The second part of this prophetic word out of Isaiah that Matthew's reviewing. So I'm going to go back real quick. I'm going to show you. We're going to read here. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Another thing Jesus had to get him through this time. Oh, one thing I wanted to point out, an illustration I forgot to give on the chosen part. I made a mistake last week. It's kind of to illustrate what it feels like to be chosen by God. I coach uh, under 10 boys soccer. And so um, typically I run the entire pro, the entire practice. I don't really let them make any decisions, as you can imagine. Um, uh, and and so I was putting some stuff away, and they're like, can we scrimmage, can we scrimmage? And I hate scrimmage. I said, yeah, go ahead. Pick your own teams. I'll be right there. And so I was putting the stuff away, and I heard, I heard them talking about picking these teams. And I thought, oh, no. What am I doing? Somebody is going to be picked last. You can't stop it. You can't pick teams and, ha- and not have someone pick last. And so my heart just began to break because I was like looking over and I knew it was going to happen. So I got up and I just said, we don't have time for this. And I just as quickly as possible, just kind of like separated like the two to the two sides so that nobody would have at the end of the day to go, man, I, I was the last one picked. Because for some kids, that just gets reinforced in their life again and again and again and again. And here's why. I think the Lord brought this analogy back to my mind again, is that some of you, the enemy has told you over and over and over and over and over again that God has picked you last. And I'm here to tell you that he has not picked you last. He has chosen you and he delights in you, the word says. Did you know he delights in Not only are you chosen, but he's stoked that you're on his team. Anytime, anytime someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. It would be like if you're doing a draft pick and it's like you get the first round draft pick and you pick the guy who was just a phenom of athletics and your whole team is like, we got that guy? That's what heaven is like when, when you are picked. When you say, Lord, I'm going to put my faith in you. They're like, we got, we got her? Oh my gosh. Well, they would... Yeah, they'd probably say, oh, my goodness, I guess in heaven. Like, huh? They say, we got her, we got him, you're kidding me. Do you know that how gifted they are? You see that? Take that into your week this week as you face problems. Jesus did. Okay, secondly, sorry about that. Uh, charged by God, Matthew Twelve eighteen. I will put my spirit on him. Jesus was fueled by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, we get into this Trinity stuff, like, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and there's, there's one God, and they're in three different representations, and we try to, you know, it's like an egg, it's like an apple, it's like whatever. We will never figure this out. Our puny little walnut-sized brains will never figure this out. It's a mystery, which is exciting to me. This is why we put our faith in Jesus. Right? And so his, the Spirit was on him. And listen, Paul prays this for us in Ephesians. Well, for the church of Ephesus, but it 
translate to us. I pray, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. You may be charged with the power through his spirit in your inner being. Don't don't you want to live a life, seriously, don't you want to live a life that to the very core of who you are is being charged and fueled by the Holy Spirit? You don't have to do it on your own. You have to draw all this power from yourself. I, I have a cell phone that is, has the worst battery. It has a terrible battery. So if I turn it on, uh, you know, so I wake up, I usually wake up around, let's say, 11 a.m. Uh, no, I'm kidding. So if I wake up in the morning and I turn my phone on and I start using it from 8, it, it'll go till about 4, and then it's dead. So I have to have little chargers everywhere. So I've got one in my bedroom, I've got one in my car, and I've got one at work. It's like where I really get nailed is if I'm at a conference and it has to be on. So I have to turn it off and manage the power. It always needs to be charged up or else it's no good. This is the example of us. We all have batteries that weren't designed to last months at a time. The Holy Spirit needs to come in and renew us and refresh us. And this is how Jesus got through these things. He'd often go off and pray uh, to his father to get that refueling. Okay, so he operated in the power of the spirit. And so Paul is praying for us that we would have this power through our inner being. Ezekiel prophesied about this. It says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you that nasty battery that can't hold a charge and give you a heart of flesh, this battery that when it's connected to me, keeps going and going and going through all eternity. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jesus was charged by God. He was not only chosen by God, he was charged by God. And any time we try to get something else to charge that battery, it doesn't work. It doesn't, the, connect, the little connector doesn't work. And we go, oh, no, it'll fit in there, but it doesn't charge. Right? You think, oh, if I could just have a week's vacation. And you get a week's vacation, and it's great and everything. But unless the Holy Spirit's involved, there's no, there's no charging. There's no fueling in your inner being. And Jesus was chosen by God, and he was charged by God. It says in Colossians 1.19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all fullness to dwell in him. Thirdly, he was commissioned by God. It says, well, I'm going to go back real quick so we can read this again. Actually, I'm going to go back three slides. Read what's in, italic, what's in italics, okay? So here's my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And we're going to, I should have thought this out before I did it. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. He was commissioned by God. He was on a mission. He had a purpose. There was something for him to be doing. Okay? And so we go back to, like, what, what do you do when there's a, a situation that, that is, is uh, problematic in your life, when trials arise? What do you do? Well, if you've got a mission... If you're on mission, if you've got a purpose, if you're operating the way God would have you operate, there's really no time for that. I mean, there is. I'm not trying to minimalize it, okay, or minimize it. I'm not trying to make it less, okay? (laughs) I'm saying that God, when when, when we're we're on mission, when we're kingdom-minded, we look at even our trials and say, well, how is this going to affect the kingdom? 
what difference is this going to make in the kingdom? Sometimes it, it does rock the kingdom, and we need to be careful. Other times, it kind of puts us in perspective. But Jesus was commissioned by God, commissioned with a mission. We, we are on a mission with God. Now, for what? Well, Acts 1.8 talks about it. And we, every verse I put up here, you should have memorized, okay? Because it talks about us, okay? But you will receive power. There's that charged by God again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. There's no, if you'd love to, that would be fantastic. This is our mission, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Again, a verse we go over a lot here because it has to do with uh, our, our mission statement. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Again, how do we handle trials? Well, we're chosen by God, so we know he's got a plan. We're charged by the Holy Spirit, so we know we're get, we can make it through no matter what it is. And now we're commissioned by God, and we say, well, how does this problem affect what my real mission is? Is it a distraction from my real mission? Is it the enemy trying to attack my mission? See the mindset here? It's a kingdom mindset. It's a different worldview, a worldview that doesn't revolve around me, but revolves around my mission in Christ. Okay, one last verse. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Gentleness with people, reverence for Christ. Loving God, loving people. It's our motto. Again, you'll see it through many of the verses we read. Gentleness and reverence. Think about the person, think about the Lord. Okay? Commissioned by God. Jesus was calmed by God. You can imagine with all this kingdom stuff he's got to do, like, you know, okay, I've got to take away the sins of the world, got to heal a bunch of people, right? You can imagine just the stress that would be on this guy. We've talked about this many, many times. Jesus, it says twice in Scripture, he didn't even have time to eat. He was so busy. And yet he wasn't stressed out. He was calmed by God. It says this, he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Now, what does that mean? Because they did hear his voice in the streets. Well, what it means is when you're walking down the street, walking your dog, you won't hear him in his house upset about something. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been walking and you hear an argument and you're like, whoa, man, they're really going at it. And so you're kind of like slow down a little bit because you're like, oh, eh. I think she's winning that. Oh, no, that was a good one. I think he got her on that one. Yeah. Right. They're arguing. They're yelling. Right. Why? Because when there's an argument, you're trying to what? You're trying to win. You're trying to get your way. Correct. Okay, this is what he's talking about. Jesus wasn't trying to win an argument when when the when the when the Pharisees plotted to kill him and he was aware of this. He didn't go, hey, everybody. He didn't rally people around him to try and get the mob on his side. He didn't point them out and go, well, yeah, well, you want to kill me, but I'm going to go and overturn your tables in the temple and we'll see how it goes then. Right. There wasn't this there wasn't this um, unrest with Jesus. He knew he was aware but he was calm. Why? Because he was calmed by God. We can go back just in realizing that you're chosen, you're charged by God, and your commissioned is enough to just 
okay, God is in control. He knew his heavenly father was in control. In Mark chapter 15, he goes before Pilate and all these people are accusing him of all these things. And Pilate says, aren't you going to answer? And it says, but Jesus remained silent. And it says, and Pilate was amazed. It is amazing. Have you ever been accused at work or something? When I do my best, when I'm accused of something, and I do my very, 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 very best, that means I've only told one person about it. (laughs) Usually Lisa. Like when I'm really, oh, no, I handled that perfectly. I've just told her about it. Instead of just, I, it would be difficult for me if someone accused me of something to just remain silent and just go, you know what, Lord? That's too bad they feel that way. You know, you know how hard that is? Have you ever had that in work where somebody makes a statement or whatever? Well, well and you get all that like, well, you don't think, you know, they make a joke like, well, you got here way to show up on time. You know, you're half an hour late. Well, you don't know why I was late. First, I had to do this and I worked late yesterday and blah, blah, blah. Right? You ever seen that in the workplace? You guys work? Do you have jobs? What are you good? the economy that bad? Gee. Like, no, man. What's this work thing, dude? Sounds hard. No. Jesus addressed this with the disciples already, and we we went over it. Jesus was talking about, man, you can imagine the disciples, they got all this stuff that Jesus tells people, hey, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I, I got nothing for you. It would get you kind of tense. And then imagine the disciples, the Pharisees are, I mean, these are the spiritual leaders. Their pastor is trying to kill them. Jesus already addressed this with them, and we went over it before when it said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus was saying to them, when your focus is on the kingdom, it's calming. There's a calmness about it. He gave them instruction when they went out for this very thing. We read it in Matthew chapter 10. But when they arrest you, again, the book's already been written. It's coming. It's in chapter whatever. When they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, at that time, you will be given what to say. Guess who gives you what to say? It says, it will not be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you, you will be charged at that time. You're, you're before everybody, your battery's draining. It says, oh man, phone's going to be turned off. Oh man, what am I going to do? And whoosh, oh, the Lord just gave me something to say. Don't worry about that. Jesus was calmed by God because he knew he's supposed to say something or not say something at that very time. As we look at these fires and we look at the economy and we look at the housing market, how how do we respond to this? And the writer of Hebrews talks a little bit about this. We've gone over this section of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's a section of Scripture we've gone over here that we haven't gone over before because they're just so rich. It says this in Hebrews, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Man, That doesn't go well in America. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. You know what's really cool? I don't know where you stood on the election. One way or the other, who really cares? But um, Because it's over, just so everybody knows. Uh, It's over. Praise God, it's over. 
I'm so glad they have an actual date that you can just go, oh, that's behind us. Anyway, enough political rancor. Um, the believers I knew, and I know, I know, I know believers on both sides who, who were, it was so awesome to hear, watch them go throughout this whole thing, you know, giving our, you know, well, what about this? What about this? You know, that's great. It's all healthy, right? But when it was over, almost every believer I knew went, oh, well, God's still on the throne. What are you going to do? I was like, man, why couldn't we have that attitude before? But, you know, you want to be involved, so I'm not saying that. But it was just so cool to watch the Spirit of God just go, ah, yeah, well, ah, what are you going to do? This is what happens to people who are so invested in the kingdom. They look at tragedy and they go, well, the Lord's got to do something. That's hard. There are some families who've lost their homes. There's a deep pain that deep sense of loss where it's like, oh, man, why? Why did this happen? Why did that house go and that house didn't? Why? And yet, when we're charged by the Holy Spirit, there's something that happens where we go, you know what? I have a better possession, a more lasting one somewhere else. And it calms us. You lose a job, Lord, I don't know why. What are we going to do? worry i'm on the throne i've told you seek first my kingdom all these things will be given to you don't worry about it it's calm calm by god jesus showed us modeled that lastly he was characterized by god it goes on in isaiah and that matthew's quoting here a bruised reed he will not break a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory in his name the nations will put their hope Ultimately, 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 Jesus had the heart of God the Father. He was concerned about people. He had compassion for people. He saw, even in, his, in the midst of his own pain, they're plotting to kill him for doing nothing except speaking the truth. They're plotting, in the midst of all that going on, he sees the broken reed, he sees that person, that wick that's just smoldering, it's just about to go out, and his heart breaks. Remember we talked about Jesus looked at the multitudes and he felt compassion for them because they were uh, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Jesus had the very characteristic of God. And let me tell you guys, this is our role as a church, to have that compassion that we would in fact somehow, through the only through the Holy Spirit and not through anything else, In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our trials, we can look and go, you know what? It's not as bad as that guy. It's not as bad. They need help more than I do. It says in Numbers 14, The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. We serve a compassionate God. He's a merciful God. He understands where we're coming from. He created us. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we then extend that compassion outward, which I'm so proud of this church that we do so well, and we will continue to do. So what happens now? He he, he knows he's chosen by God. He's charged by God. He's commissioned by God. He's characterized by God. Right? He's calmed by God. So what is the, what is the outcome? Well, it's, it's kingdom advancement. It says this, When they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see, 
all the people were astonished and they said, could this be the son of David? Could this be it? And let me tell you, church, we are surrounded by people who are longing to see the kingdom of God in their lives so that they can say, really? Really? Does it really work? Can I really put my hope in him? And when we, in fact, realize we're chosen and we're charged and we're commissioned and the kingdom of God is flowing through, so we're calm in the midst of adversity. We're characterized with God's characteristics of love and mercy. People say, really? It seems to be working. And we say, yes, it is. Now, as I promised, I think I've picked the one because my wife, I have to live with my own wife. I picked the one that does not spoil the end. You got the sound up on that? We don't have time. I'm trying to shorten my sermons down a little bit, okay? Encourage me on that. Here we go. You can see the video we showed during the sermon on YouTube. Uh, Just go to our website, www.livingspring.com. And uh, if you go to this sermon, you'll see the link that we placed in the description portion. Here's what he says. It seems simple enough. I read it and I loved it. There's only one way it can end. And I think you should finish it. Are, are we at a place in our lives where God, we have enough trust in, in, in how he impacts our lives to say, look, I read your book and I love it. However you want to finish my life, finish it. I accept it. Is, is the kingdom, do, are we so passionate about the kingdom that we can put aside different stuff in our lives. We can, we can focus through the pain and go, okay, what impact does this have on the kingdom? Hebrews, which we were in, describes it perfectly. This statement says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus did it. He modeled it. That, that, that was it. That was the example of if, if you put God in skin, it would be Jesus. And he says, listen, th- this is it. Do it. Trust me. It's a deeper relationship with God. 